1: Welcome to Draft Deeper on the No Ceilings NBA podcast feed. Thank you so much for joining us this week. After a little bit of a hiatus in the offseason, right? That's what we want to call it, the offseason. We're back on the feed, but unfortunately, we're we're back on the feed together as a trio one last time. My name is Nathan Grubel. I'm the founder of Draft Deeper. This is going to be my last episode with the No Ceilings NBA Collective. It's it's certainly a, a bittersweet day. All the feelings, they're all kind of coming at me at once. I know Stephen Gillespie and Maxwell Baumbach, my two co-hosts here, they've certainly expressed some of those feelings that it's a bittersweet moment. But uh, I, I know these guys are going to take over the the their episode on No Ceilings. And they're going to absolutely knock it out of the park with, with a brand-new brand-slash-concept that they'll be sharing with you guys, hopefully, in the coming weeks. But... Like I said, this is the last Draft Deeper podcast episode. I just wanted to start off the show. Obviously, we're going to talk about plenty of real basketball. Maxwell's been doing incredible work this offseason, as always, with no stone unturned. We'll get into all that stuff. But I just wanted to start out this episode by saying thank you to every single person in the audience who has supported me since I started Draft Deeper four years ago. It's hard to believe. It's been four years since I published my first podcast episode with Kevin Black as my producer, dating back to August 2020, covering the the 2020 NBA draft class, and certainly a a, a wild draft class to come in. I came in on that draft class a little late after taking a brief hiatus in, in scouting during like the beginning of that 2020 cycle. was was wild to to jump in, but really what I wanted to do was start something new in the basketball space and really leverage a lot of my connections that I've had in the space, a lot of my background as a scout, you know, working with EB hoops, working for a number of different writing platforms, covering prospects and really trying my hand at prospect evaluation since 2011, 2012, right? It's been a long time that I've been trying my hand at this stuff and I figured why not use my media background and why not put that together with my basketball analysis and create something new, something fresh in the space. And that's really what I set out to do With Draft Deeper, sort of sharing with the audience insights as to what are the conversations scouts have behind the scenes? What does this actually look like when you're sitting in a war room breaking these guys down, arguing about prospects, who should go where, how high should you take someone? And over four years, both as its own separate platform, Draft Deeper, and then when Draft Deeper was brought over to No Ceilings, I feel like that mission was accomplished. And I really do feel proud of the work that I did in this space over the last four years, but I certainly want to shout out everyone who's helped me with all of that work, right? I can say that I I founded the Draft Deeper podcast and and really the Draft Deeper brand, but it wasn't just me that put in the time, the effort, the work into making that podcast and and all of my writing and, and all of the content. What it was right merging with no ceilings and being a part of the collective with, with Tyler and Corey and and Tyler Metcalf and, and obviously Stephen and Maxwell and Nick and Albert and page and everyone who's been involved with no ceilings since day one Evan Wheeler. It's with you guys. That I feel like I really grew in this space, not only as a content creator, but as a scout, and most importantly as a person, right? Really recognizing what's important, what really goes into these evaluations, and and continuing to understand that basketball is a game played by humans. And all of those emotions, all of those things that come into play, those life experiences, they all affect how a player does on the court, off the court. And all of these things, along with the skills, the fun stats that we all throw out, all of the sickle philosophies that we're all a part of, all of these things really matter and they all blend into one evaluation. I think being able to reflect on that and just having that prioritized, I think a lot of that came with the experience I got working with you guys because you guys in particular, Stephen and Maxwell, how much I've seen you guys grow in this space, right? We didn't all start in, in this content creation game at the same time, but I feel like in terms of growth, you both exponentially shot way past me. In these just just these few years that we've been working together, it's it's truly been awesome seeing Steven come back day after day after day with with 10 new prospects that he watched and and Maxwell dig into to the ends of the earth to try and find that next guy who can maybe be that no stone unturned prospect what you guys have done in this space supported draft deeper tremendously because I feel like you both embody what scouting actually is. Right. So there, there's an aspect, and, and we've done this plenty on Draft Deeper. We've done this plenty of no ceilings. But what I really pride myself in is understanding that scouting is about finding those players exactly like what Maxwell does with that no stone unturned series. Right. It's about literally combing through all the film, all the stats, talking to every single person you can in the space, and focusing in on not just the top five names that are going to be in the draft, but focusing on. Who are those guys who can maybe, you know, fringe crack a rotation? They can be the 15th man on the roster. That's really what scouting is. It's identifying talent. It, it literally is like, like the Adam Sandler movie that's on Netflix where he's literally traveling to every single other country trying to find, you know, the next great guy and ended up being Bo Cruz. But that, that's literally what scouting is. And I feel like there, there's no two scouts in this public space who embody that more than the both of you. So the fact that I've had you both supporting the Draft Deeper brand over the last few years, it it's meant everything to me. And I can't thank you both enough for jumping in and supporting me as well as everyone with the No songs Collective. But lastly, certainly to everyone who has been a guest on this show as well. There, there's too many people to list off. I, I've been able to work with so many tremendous people in this space, both, you know, obviously guys like us trying to do the small-time content creation. There have been a lot of big names that have appeared, on Draft Deeper, individuals who are well-credentialed and well-established in this business have come on the Draft Deeper podcast. I can't thank all of those people enough for, for really giving me the time of day and helping to support this platform, this brand, and ultimately No Ceilings as a whole. So, so many people to thank. Obviously, without the fans, none of this would be possible without any of the public support, but Really, just thank you to every single person who has taken the time to listen to Draft Deeper, to read my content on No Ceilings, and to just really show me support and love. the The outpour that I got on social media, you know, when I made the announcement I was going to be leaving No Ceilings, the amount of direct messages that I got—I mean, that that stuff means everything to me. It, it, it really does. It's always going to be a people first business. That's how I view basketball. In my opinion, it's about relationships, and the fact that I've been able to build so many through this, just doing what I've done and knowing that there's still plenty more to come in the future. Cause I'm not, I'm not stepping away from basketball. That's not necessarily doing. I may be, I may be leaving content creation, whether that's all together or maybe just for a specific amount of time. That doesn't mean I'm leaving basketball. It doesn't mean I'm not working on private projects on the side. That doesn't mean I'm maybe not doing some consulting work. That's not what it means. I just won't be at the public forefront on a podcast or writing something like I have been over the last few years. So you'll still find me on social media. I'll still be posting stuff. You can still reach out to me, shoot me in the DMs. And, you know, I know Maxwell and Steven, they're going to absolutely still be keeping in contact with me, talking about prospect 150 on our boards. That will happen. But (laughs) just know that I'm still around. I'm still here. I'm still in the game. You know, basketball, while it can't be my entire life at this point, like it was a few years ago before I got married, before I was a homeowner, before all these fun life things happened, it can't be my entire life. But it is still a big part of my life, and I will I will never let that die out, and that's very important to me. So, the floor is, floor is yours, Stephen Maxwell. Feel free to, to to say a few words before we get into the real basketball. The real reason why everyone would actually want to listen to this podcast.
2: Maxwell, do you want to follow? Yeah, that up yeah, I'll go or? first. Okay. okay, yeah,
0: I just want to say thank you for everything, man. Like, I this was I've mentioned this before, but like this was the first like big show I was on in the the draft space was Draft Deeper um so like that platform for me when i was just doing kind of my own thing on substack at that point linked up with steven to collaborate a little bit but like that was it like that was like the only thing that that i kind of had going up at that point was Stephen giving me his platform and then you giving me yours so uh it meant a lot like because both you guys were the first two to kind of give me anything in this space so uh yeah like i I I think it's always like, I think a lot of times if you're on the outside you can come across as like almost disingenuous or corny whenever you're like, Oh, this is like a brotherhood and whatever. Like it truly is like just to speak to the position that I'm in, like on a day-to-day basis, I'm a guy with a house, a wife, a kid and a full-time job. So I am up early every day to do the basketball work that I do. And because of that, like basketball is all of my time. That is not family and work. So, I saw less of my friends, less of my extended family, anybody than I've ever seen in my life in like the last two years. And in that absence, like people, it's people like Steven and Nathan that like take over those kind of places in your life. Cause like, I'm talking to Nathan more than I'm talking to members of my own family, more than (laughs) some of my best friends, like from college, from high school, whatever, because like he's in the trenches with me and Uh, through that, like you just become really close. Like you talk to somebody every day, you, you get into your life, you get into the real kind of big picture things that are, that are bigger than basketball. And Nathan has been there for me in ways that, uh, you know, I can't, I can't really express enough gratefulness, uh, for, so it's been a pleasure to not only work with you because as I mentioned, the first time I was ever on draft deeper, war room hustle was like the first like draft specific show that I really got into and you're from that EV hoops lineage. So like, and you were one of the podcasts I always listened to early on when I was first getting into this space. So it's just been a privilege to work alongside you, not only just in terms of like basketball mind, basketball work, but just as a human being, like your, your friendship has meant so much to me and that's not going to go away at all, but I'm going to miss getting to collaborate and speak with you on a podcast so often and having that to look forward to every week. But just thank you for everything, man. Like I can't, can't thank you enough
2: and i mean just we'll keep we'll keep the the vibes going here man uh nathan i was talking to you before we even started recording and i was i'm preparing for the show like i always do and like like max says like we're we're in the trenches with each other all the time and like i'm preparing for the show because i know that you two are gonna bring it so i have to bring my a game as well and i'm 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 Looking at film, I'm getting my notes together. You guys know that I printed out my notes and I write on them and all that other fun stuff. And then I glance over at my Twitter and then I see that Maxwell or excuse me, that Nathan, that you're sending off this message about how this is your last Draft Deeper episode. And like in the in the recess of my mind, like I knew that. Right. But then I saw it like on Twitter and I was like, dang, like this is legit going to be the last time that I record Draft Deeper with Nathan and like Maxwell, you and I were going to continue to work together. Right. And yep. I'm, I'm very yep. blessed that, that I'm going to get to get to continue to work with you, but I'm very grateful for all the work that Nathan has done to bring me into this space. Because whenever Maxwell and I both got picked up by no ceilings, like Nathan hit me up and was like, Hey, the good news isn't done for you because I would also would like you to co-host with me. And like, this was back in March of 2022. Mm-hmm. So knowing I've been a part of draft deeper when Nathan and how much that has been a big part of my life. You know, like Maxwell, like you were saying that we, we study, we go over notes and we hit each other up and we talk about life and all these other things. And it's just like, I know that you're not going anywhere, Nathan, like, I'm still going to be able to reach out to you, but like cutting it up with you on draft deeper has been one of the biggest. And like one of the things I look forward to the most on a weekly basis. And, I'm sure that I'm joining a, a a large number of people that are listening right now. They're going to be sad to see you go, but I also want them to, to take, you know, take heart in the fact that you're doing this for, for good things. You yeah. know what I mean? Like this isn't anything bad that we have to kind of be like, Oh no, Nathan's like stepping off into the abyss. Like you have a lot of great things going on in your life, man. So the, the bittersweet part comes from selfish reasons on my behalf. Right. But like, Because I care for you the way that I do, like I am so happy for where you are in this stage of your life, man. And I'm I'm looking forward to seeing like you grow in that area of your life and you're going to do great because you do great at everything you do, man. So I'm just I'm it's been an honor to take to take, you know, steps alongside you for the time that I have.
1: That that means a lot, Stephen, and it means a lot. Maxwell, for for all those kind words. Yeah, Stephen was talking about this isn't for for anything bad, right? I do have a lot of good going on in my life that I need to sort of make sure that I prioritize over basketball to an extent and make sure that that I have all of my ducks in a row. But at the same time, you know, the, the, like Stephen said, there's still a lot of good that can come from that, and I can still appreciate basketball, and I can still do work in the space and, and enjoy what I'm doing in a different sense. It's just, yeah, it will be a little bit different, not coming on the podcast every week, but you know, it's, it's bittersweet in the sense that I'm stepping away from no ceilings and I helped build the no ceilings platform with some incredible individuals. Right. And it's very hard to step away from something that is successful, that's going Mm -hmm. to continue to be successful. This is probably one of those, I, I hope, I hope Rucker clips this, right? This is one of those like Kyle turned turn the TikTok camera on moments, but hope he clips this, but no ceilings is the place to go to for NBA draft coverage. And I'm very confident it's going to continue being the place that fans go to for basketball coverage at large, right? I think mm-hmm. the no ceilings platform is only going to continue to grow. There are incredible people You know, pulling all the strings behind the scenes. Certainly, everyone who's producing content at the front, the forefront, is doing a tremendous job, and not only producing content but really educating listeners about and and readers about what matters in basketball. Right? Like, why do we believe the things that we do? Why are certain things working? Why are trends not working? Why are things going in different directions? No ceilings is examining all of those things. In a very approachable way. And I think that has been really what has set the platform apart. And it's going to set the platform apart for years to come. So yeah, it's hard that I'm walking away from such a successful venture that no ceilings has been. But I know that this brand will be much more, much more complete, much more productive and much more successful even without me here. It's only going to continue to grow as the years go on. So I just, I wanted to say that about no ceilings, everyone listening to this podcast, you're in good hands, all of the content that's being produced here. It's top notch. It's arguably the best in the business and sincerely, you know, stay subscribed, stay listening, stay reading. You're only going to keep getting better in the space of basketball and keep getting smarter as a talent evaluator. If you keep tuning in, to everything that's going on in no ceilings. So that's, that's really my last piece that, that I wanted to say, but with that being said, it's time to talk about, you know, some of the things that actually make this podcast and have made this platform <laughs> what it is, right? Let's talk about the basketball. Let's talk about the why and the how and and we're going to be doing that as a trio one last time tonight reflecting on what Maxwell's done this offseason, which is the no stone unturned series. And he's already done A few podcasts now. He did one with with Coach Spins, Adam Spinello, The Boxing One. Uh, Steven is collaborating on some content with him in podcast form, but he has been writing columns about every other week going over his No Stone Unturned, right? Focusing on the bigs, the wings. We're going to be talking about some of the wings as well as the guards. We're going to round out the No Stone Unturned series. And Maxwell, so I, I want you to kind of give one more description about, you know, where this series came from and what it is for anyone who may very well just be listening. And this is the first time they're listening to one of these episodes. But I just, I want to say before you do that really quick, I sort of uh, alluded to this when I was giving some, some words of encouragement for my guys here, but what no stone unturned is what this series is. This is scouting in its purest form. And I think this series in particular has helped no ceilings gain a lot of respect and notoriety within the space because of what it is. It is scouting in its purest form. And I couldn't be more proud of Maxwell for not only making this a mission of his to actually create this content and share these evaluations to the general public, but for committing himself to doing it at such a high level. Like I look at the players he's chosen for this no stone Unturned series. And I'm like, Holy hell, these are just great scouts period, Mm -hmm. right? Like these are guys that everyone needs to pay attention to. And maybe they're not all NBA players, but I guarantee some of them are going to be NBA players. There are a number of these guys we're going to talk about tonight that I like as prospects. And Maxwell certainly had some hits when he did No Stone Unturned last year. So yeah, why, why don't you just share before we dive in, Maxwell, like what was what really is the motivation behind No Stone Unturned? Like, why does this exist? What What is your continued goal with this series?
0: Yeah, so when I started it, it was there was two kind of main missions. The first was... I wanted to get eyes, my own eyes, but also other people's eyes on guys that weren't getting a lot of buzz that statistically on paper seemed like this might be somebody. This might be somebody that has an NBA chance uh, or an NBA career in their future. Uh, And that was kind of the beginning of it. Um, The second part of starting it off. So in and with that mission, kind of what I had in mind at the time was I didn't want anybody that was in a mainstream mock draft. I didn't want anybody that was on mainstream top 100s i want guys completely outside of the mainstream picture that i think "Ah, this guy's actually got a shot and nobody's really talking about him yet so i wanted to kind of challenge myself on that level to try and find guys that that uh that could correct that mold i had some some good hits that first year guys like ben shepherd who went in the first round uh who i was able to call out as a draftable prospect i had some real misses too uh and i wrote a column about it i wrote a column about like every single player that i did in year one what i got right and what i got wrong because there were some whiffs there were guys like you know you don't never want to dump on a prospect but a guy like demarion williams who was a gardner webb had this great season was a great shooter transfers up to the big 12 barely plays right like he's yeah. like an eight minute a game guy and then like what did, what did i learn from that and that was the second part of it really is like pushing myself to, to improve as a scout like really trying to force myself out of my comfort zone Um, because Mm -hmm. I am like newer to this among the people at no ceilings. I'm about, you know, two, two years in at this point going into year three is like full-time committed to the draft cycle. Um, I wanted to put myself in a position where I was writing about and covering guys that I couldn't have preconceived notions of because it's guys nobody's talking about. I can't go into a, a column about Tucker DeVries and say, well, everybody says Tucker DeVries is you know a good processor of the game or whatever. There's, there's no information. So it's just, you got to wear it on your chest. I got to use my own eyes and ears and, and I can't really cheat off anybody else's homework because yep. it's just me watching these guys. Most people aren't doing this, and the people that are are people that are working in situations where they're not publishing public facing <laughs> content. Those are the people yep. that know who these guys are. So the No Sun and Turn series going into this year, I kind of want to continue with that same ethos. Um, it's a little different this year just because the transfer portal is so prominent. Like yep. mm-hmm. college coaches are on these guys early, so I had to cover a little bit more high major guys than I wanted to this year. Um, makes it a little bit tougher on that front. Um, but I will say like this series as a whole has like genuinely changed my life. Like the amount of people in basketball that I've gotten to speak to is for interviewing people in this series. And then how that led to, um, kind of different behind the scenes conversations that it's opened up for me in the, in the world of basketball has, has been really big. Um, it was interesting like going into the draft this year and then suddenly like you're, you know, getting messages being like, Hey, what, how was Ben Shepard when you interviewed him? Was he on time? But like for like stuff mm-hmm. like that, that you're getting from like teams. And it's like, Whoa, God, like this is pretty wild now. So uh yeah, it, it's been the coolest thing I've ever done in basketball, hands down. So really wanted to shine a light on these kind of under the radar guys and, and try and shoot my shot. And let's, let's get into it because I'm, I'm shooting a pretty aggressive shot with the first guy <laughs> that we're going to cover here.
1: It it just goes to show that when you're passionate about something, just, just a lesson for everyone out there listening, if they ever want to get into any sort of content creation or they want to get deeper in the basketball space, if you are passionate about something and you're good at what you do and you're dedicated to it, you're committed and you stick to it, it as Maxwell said, it, it can literally change your life in different aspects. It can open doors you, you didn't think were possible to be open. So just, just a friendly reminder out there, if you're passionate about something, just get out there and do it. It, it doesn't matter what it is. Just get out there and, and do it, you may very well find yourself fortunate for it, uh, in, in the long run. So yeah, as, as Maxwell said, he's, he's calling a shot with this yeah. first guy. He is, he is the biggest Dalton connect fan. Mm. I, I think I could ever meet in my life, but there there's good reason for that. Like when you flip on the tape and watch Dalton, this dude is a real NBA prospect, man. Like he is Maxwell, do you have him top 60 heading into do. the year? I uh, yeah, that, that I this, makes is, this is my
0: shot. If the draft looks like what it did last year, we're like we've got a good number of guys going back to school. And even if it doesn't, I think Dalton Connect is getting drafted in so, 2024.
1: So tell everyone about again, we're gonna go through the wings part three first, and mm-hmm. then we'll get into the guards. And you can find both of these columns. You can read along with these columns as we're talking about these players on no sealingsmba.com as we speak, but we will start. In these these big wing, this big wing category. We're gonna talk about Dalton Connect first. So, Maxwell, what's your pitch? Give me the background, give me the sales pitch. What makes yeah. Dalton Connect your your most prominent no-stone unturned player in this section of the column?
0: Yeah, so Dalton Connect is six foot six. He's gonna be playing a graduate season at Tennessee. He is not ancient. This man will be 23 on draft night. This is not one of these guys <laughs> who's like 27 years old. He is young for a graduate. Uh he is a late bloomer and the type of late bloomer that we've seen had a lot of success in recent years, which is the guy who had a late growth spurt that is also super athletic guys like Jalen Williams, guys like Trey Murphy, um, you know, even the guys like Leonard Miller and Ben Shepard, like this late growth spurt, market inefficiency i think is a real thing and it's something Mm -hmm. that i'm starting to kind of increasingly buy stock into um but Dalton connect was five foot three when he got into high school Uh, he eventually grew to six three when he was a senior didn't really have any offers so he went the juco route and grew to six foot six during his first year of junior college um eventually tears up the juco level transfers to northern colorado Has a solid year there as a junior, and then as a senior, just goes bananas. Uh, 20 points a game, uh, really high percentage from three. He was 38.1% from three on high volume, uh, taking over 10 attempts for 100 possessions and getting a lot of those off the dribble and very smothered because this was a Northern Colorado team that had really poor guard play. uh, And he was very clearly the number one option. So he was not getting many easy looks and he was still doing that. Um, he is also just an obscene athlete, like guys like Grant Nelson, who like broke the shuttle time record at the combine, just blew by him, left him in the dust. Like this guy gets to the rim and dunks in the half court more than any serious prospect that I can remember in the last draft cycle. Um, so there, I ran a query over the last decade, guys that had, um, six, five and above BPM over four. 75 made threes at over 38% and dunked at least 25 times. It's Mikhail Bridges, Lonzo ball, Dylan Windler, Ochai Baji and Dalton connect. This is That's a guy pretty with good NBA size, All NBA, NBA athleticism and an NBA jump shot. I just don't see a world where this guy isn't like, even if he has a disastrous season, he's like, what? At worst, a guy who goes to Portsmouth, like you can't not let him into Portsmouth just based on what he did last year and the player profile um, told me he went to Tennessee because it's a defensive team and he wants to get better at defense. And that's the big is that his defensive counting numbers weren't great. Passing field needs to get a little bit better that I don't, I don't think it's like bad. Like I think it's probably better than a guy like Seth. was. It's not
1: bad. That's probably like the most, that's the thing I would be disappointed in more. So even so than, than defense, I know the defense is a real area of, of opportunity for him to improve upon. But given that he was coming from essentially the the, the pure guard skill tree, right, and, and he, he had this growth spurt, now is viewed as more of like a wing slash maybe like a small ball four. You, I would expect the passing vision to be a little better. But That's I think terrible. he, I think he has good passing touch. I think he's got good placement on his passes. So I'm not as concerned about that area. I just, I would expect a little bit more. But at the same time you know, he's still growing in his game. He's still trying to figure out ultimately how he's going to fit on an NBA floor, playing at Tennessee, playing in that defensive system, playing for a coach like like Barnes. Like that. that's all going to help him figure some of these things out. And what's interesting is you brought up the growth spurt thing as well and how it's like a market inefficiency. Like a lot of these guys – even some of these older prospects, you know, they're, they're still in college for a reason because they're still trying to figure out how to move and operate and play properly, like in their bodies, right? Like just, mm-hmm. just imagine five three to six foot six. That that is that's insane. And you you hear some of these stories, like Anthony Davis was like, well, I think he was like six two or something like that before mm-hmm. he shot all the way up mm-hmm. to like six ten, six eleven, and he has these massive arms, and he's trying to figure out like. How do I handle the ball in some of the same ways I did as a guard? How do I operate in some of the same ways? You know, what do I do with these long arms? How do I time these blocks? Like now, I got to be like a primary rim protector. How does all that work? Like some of these guys are just that gifted to where they figure it out in their prime time right out of the box in a freshman or even a sophomore year. Some of these other guys, it just takes them time to to figure it all out. And I think Dalton Connect, you you can go back and watch some of the tape from from last year. This dude has figured out a lot. Right, in, in, mm-hmm. in the last few years in college. And, and now it's to the point where he's going to get a primetime role at Tennessee. He's going to shoot the hell out of the ball. He's going to put up points. His defensive rebounding percentage, like Maxwell uh, illustrated in his article, was fantastic. He's going to be able to grab boards, take it up and down the floor, and then, yeah, like he was talking about, his, athleticism, his ability to dunk the ball in the half court, some of his his ability to shoot some of these shots – on the move or, or off of a step back or, or creating his own shot. There's just so much to like with Dalton connect in, in a good wing body to the point where Steven, he, he just seems like this automatic name that not a lot of people are talking about him now, but once the season gets underway, you know, you, you see him potentially you know light it up in non-conference play. All of a sudden we're, we're approaching sec play and it's like, this guy could be top 45 on a lot of boards out there. Once you get in that striking range of like a top 45, the sky's the limit for, for some of these guys. You can climb all the way to the mid-first round, right? I think that's just where talent evaluation and scouting has gone in, in recent years. What do you think about Connect?
2: Well, I mean, I, I'm right there in that range. I have him 48th on my board right now. Like, I, I think that he's pretty easily an, a, a draftable prospect. Uh, touching on a couple other things you know he was in the 90th percentile on overall offense 95th percentile in in spot ups 80th percentile also in pick and roll handling so even though his his passing in my opinion also leaves like a little bit to be desired he's one of these guys there's going to be a several of them where they have more turnovers than they did assists but there's something there to that that he can use, right? Like as a, like a tertiary creator or something like that. And then at Tennessee, he's going to, I love the commitment to defense. I I think that, you know, him going to Tennessee to specifically sharpen that side of his, uh, you know, his, his player profile. I think that that's an excellent move. I think that's one of the the bigger wins that he could have done is going to Tennessee to improve his defense. Yeah. Cause every, Um,
1: every game that Tennessee plays a rock fight. So (laughs) there you go.
2: Exactly. I mean, filling in that, like that Julian Phillips role, maybe, you know, on the team. And that worked out pretty decently for him, I would say. But, you know, he's got good size, got good rebounder, um, good handle. There's just a lot to like out. I'm always intrigued on these players. And I think that the – I'm going to be talking about it a little bit, like, throughout the offseason through some of my work. But, like, I think the, the decision to go up in level of competition is so vital for these players because the bar to clear, if you're a mid-major player, to get drafted in, like, a prominent draft pick – like you have to be like, no kidding, a dude coming into the season. You know what I mean? Like people have to know who you are to clear. So I love all the decisions that he's made from all the way through his playing last season up to the commitment to go to Tennessee. I think that it's a smart move. And yeah, Maxwell, you knocked this one out of the park. He's he's an NBA player, in my opinion.
1: Yeah. And in terms of player profile, you're six six. You can potentially shoot the lights out. You can shoot it on the move. You can handle the ball a little bit. Maxwell, you you talked about the, the the pick and roll play, and we've all mentioned mm-hmm. that we would like to see a little bit more from a passing perspective in those situations. But him being that comfortable using a screen, that does separate mm-hmm. himself from someone like a Seth Lundy that you loved last cycle. Yeah. What was your biggest knock on Lundy? Dude just didn't passing play enough out of, out of pick and yeah. roll. Mm-hmm. He, he, did, he did, didn't have enough experience out of those play types at a high level. And don't connect, correct, correct me if I'm wrong, I think per synergy last year for Northern Colorado, I think that was his most used play type. Was that yeah. a pick and roll?
0: Yeah, they they ran a lot of pick and roll with him just because, like they like I said, they did not have reliable table setters on that team. And I think that when he's in an environment where he has one, he's going to thrive even more. Like when it is second side, defense already rotating, like that sort of thing, I, I think he's going to shine a lot. Like we mentioned, like Tennessee being in a rock fight every game, like maybe not now that you have to all connect. Like you've got a six yeah. six guy that can score at all three levels now. Like maybe these games get a little prettier for them.
1: You know, something I've also learned, too, before we move to to our next player in this call, which is another another guy that I really like that, that Maxwell picked out. When we look at these prospects that have skills in all of these different areas, right? And then when you get up to the NBA, eventually you have to scale some things back. You have to play into a role yeah. unless you're like one of these stars among stars. But A, it's much easier to scale back than to scale forward, right? Than to ask somebody to do new things at a pro level or approaching a pro level at a high major college. And then B, if you have experience in all these other facets of the game, especially when it comes to handling the basketball, creating on the move, doing something with it once you get it, not just purely catching and shooting, that awareness, that heightened court awareness, that spatial awareness, that, that ability to see things before they happen, generally that ends up translating pretty well, even within your defined role, both on offense and defense at the NBA level. So I would much rather have someone who... Maybe we look at connect a year, a year from now, he makes the NBA. He's in a very defined, like catch and shoot, you know, hopefully he improves on the defense, but like he, he's really on the floor to shoot the ball. Maybe he's in that more defined role, but he's also not a lost cause in some of these other areas because he has so much experience doing all these mm-hmm. other things with the basketball to where if he's caught on an Island, if somebody runs him off of a spot like Maxwell was talking about in his column, he's not a dead fish in the water. Right. So that those are the types of guys you want to look for when you're scouting On the margins, these players who, even if their role might be scaled back in the NBA, they do have all these skills in so many other areas. To where it's it's heightened their awareness, it's made them smarter players, and you just see less reason for them to fail at that next level. So great, great scout by Maxwell. Another guy who I'm very interested in, Johnny O'Neal at Mm. at Santa Clara, six foot ten, redshirt junior, Maxwell. This another, again, great scout by you. Tell everyone about Johnny O'Neal and why he needs to be on the radar.
0: Yeah. So after each of these columns, there was like one guy I was kind of surprised about that. Like I heard from like, quote unquote, like in basketball people about in Johnny O'Neal was the one in the wing group that like a lot of people were like, is there more that you know? It's like, no, it's all in the column. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> So Johnny O'Neal. uh like really good high school player played on a grassroots team with Johnny Broom. Um, doesn't have any like crazy division one offers like real small D one kind of programs goes to American university and slowly just puts together a really nice career there. Um, but very quiet because American plays at a glacial place pace. I think Mm -hmm. they were like, the 11th slowest or ninth slowest team in college basketball. It's like somewhere in that, like 12 through eight in terms of like where their pace ranked in the last season. It's a very, very slow game that they play there. Um, Transfer to Santa Clara this coming year. He is six foot 10. He can really shoot it career like 30. Yeah. 39% over his career. I believe Um, 37.7 is the lowest percentage he shot from three always over eight attempts for hundred possessions. So the volume is really good. He is quick, like he is six foot 10 and this dude can move. Mm -hmm. So on the perimeter, if he switched on a smaller players, he does a phenomenal job. I actually kind of like him guarding down more than I like the idea of him guarding a lot of fours. Like he's kind of a three in my opinion at six foot 10, um, because he's on the skinnier side, he is thinner. He does need to get stronger. That's kind of concern. He does get bumped off the spot a little bit. Um, but defensively, the in, the instincts are outrageous. He can really keep guys in front of him. Some of the best rim rotations of like anybody I've scouted in, in at the college level in the last couple of years, phenomenal, just knows for the ball, knows for the rim, gives you so much secondary rim protection. And there's just not going to be a guy that's really easy to pick on. Had a 6.2 block rate, which is in line with guys like Jonathan Isaac and Derek Jones Jr. in their pre-draft seasons. But we're just talking about a guy that ultimately, I, I think his passing is better than the number show too. I think he has mm-hmm. real feel yep. you know, as a passer, can really attack downhill. He's pretty vicious when he goes toward the rim, uh, finishes it effectively. Even though he is on the smaller side, we're looking at a guy that's six foot ten that can shoot, has real ball skills to him, and can defend a couple positions. The real question is just going to be, how does he handle? How does he do in a faster pace environment? And how does he do when he's against a more physical level of competition than when he faced in the Patriot League?
1: Sure. And 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 Stephen, those are valid criticisms. But when I look at a player like O'Neal, the reason why I'm so excited to, to see him at Santa Clara is out of these names that we can talk about. Again, I'm not not trying to call a ridiculous shot here. But mm-hmm. if I were to have to select someone who could have a little bit more of a featured scoring role outside of just shooting the basketball in pretty easy situations in the NBA. I think Johnny O'Neill is the chance to develop a legitimate face up package. Like I'm talking catch the high post turn face and either he's going to shoot over that defender or as Maxwell was talking about, he's got that step to be able to get around people and, and get to the basket. I know we talked about connect a lot, but Johnny O'Neal is is four inches taller, right? So he has yeah. he's going to have an easier time, depending on the matchup, shooting over guys. And I think he's got the strides, the coordination, the fluidity when he's actually has the ball in his hands. We talk about these combo forward prospects a lot that we hope will pan out in the NBA. This guy actually moves like a combo forward at the NBA level. He's comfortable handling the ball. We know how much of a good shooter he is. So it's a little bit different of a package slash mold than someone like connect, but for different reasons, I actually think O'Neill could be the one guy that we look back on out of this portion of the no stone on turn column. Like, wow, this guy has more scoring chops than, than, than we initially thought he's able to do a little bit more at the NBA level when he gets there.
2: Yeah. And I, when Maxwell posts these, like when his articles drop and release them out, like one of the names that kept popping up, you know, that I saw people talking like, messaging Maxwell on on, the, on his post was Johnny O'Neill and like where I'm about to say I have him placed on my board like to some people it's going to seem very insulting but I'm going to just like preface it with that like I have him in a range where I'm like I have strong consideration to move you up and as I continue to comb through my board after I lay down my initial rankings I'm going to do another sweep through I'm looking at him at moving up and I'm also like I just want to see it at the next level, sure. I just want to that's see it at Santa fair, Clara. Yeah. I have him at 130th, and like I think this is because like... I have him at like 75. And like, I think
0: if you're in this space long enough, you start to understand like how fluid that rage is. Like, yes, it's,
2: absolutely. Yeah. It's also
1: September, boys. It, it's yeah. September, yeah. so much is going to change in, in two months from now. So,
2: absolutely. But the things that I like about him, we already touched, like. The the shooting is going to be the big thing, but something that struck me when I did my my review of him is that he was in the 77th percentile as a pick-and-roll ball handler, too. So, like, there's some interesting, like, maybe sort of, like, on-ball equity that he might be bringing to the team, right? And the shot is very pretty. It just, I don't know if you guys caught it. It might just be being weird, but, like, it seems like it just, like, a smidge too long at the top of his release. Like, it gets to the top really quickly, and it just like hangs there for a quick second. But, I mean, it's obviously working for him because his percentages are just immaculate. Um, and it's funny that we keep talking about how well he moves. I, I My notes literally say he doesn't run awkwardly at his height, which is such a big thing, too, especially for like these like lower conference, like tall dudes. Yeah. And I was expecting him to be like, uh, OK, he's going to move well, meaning that he's a four. Like, no, he moves like a wing. Like he's got real legit athleticism for his height. And I love that he's constantly moving without the ball. Like, even yeah, for those, like, huge, even like for those like low paced teams, like, he he's not satisfied with just being like a spot up specialist. Like, he is always working to find an opening to the basket, which I absolutely love. Um, we talked about his vision. He's another one of these more turn- turnovers than assist guys. I'm interested to see how that looks at Santa Clara because if we look at their recent track record, like, Santa Clara is pretty good about finding these little gems. And then turning them into NBA players. That's a big reason
1: why you should buy stock.
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, you got him and then you got Ball transferring over from Arizona too. So you got two real interesting prospects that I'm I'm looking forward to watching. But yeah, Johnny O'Neal out of your wing group. Maxwell is actually the third uh, ranked prospect out of the group. Mm -hmm. I like him a lot though. Like I would not be stunned at all to see him rise.
0: Yeah. And just one last thing I want to throw out the, the other thing that I, I want to mention is something that like really needs to turn around for him. And this was like the big kind of concern question I got from a lot of people. is his free throw percentage. He's like a career 60% free throw shooter, which is odd for somebody it's who's very that weird kind of three point shooter. Like it's very bizarre. And I think a lot of people would feel much better about him if, if he was, making his free throws because <laughs> it's just pretty, it's pretty rare. Ben Shepard was also a low free throw percentage guy. Uh, but in general guys that shoot poorly from the free throw lines don't tend to pan out. So it is, it is something that's odd.
1: Sure. I, I think the last overarching point before we move to a few more guys is I know Maxwell is doing a great job at identifying these players who have ball skills and they may not be asked to do a ton of it. At another level, they may not be asked to do a ton of it, even right now in in this upcoming season. But Mm. having those guys that have those ball skills presents teams with with a lot more options than just purely drafting like a shooting specialist who can't put it on the deck at all or whatever the case may be. We're getting to a point in the NBA where even fours and fives, you got to be able to put the ball on the deck, right? You can't leave your team without any options handling the basketball unless... You are an absolute freak at seven foot plus. You can jump out of the gym. You're catching lobs all day long, and that's your sole focus on the court. Everyone else, I think the skill gap has just narrowed in so much to where you have to have those ball skills no matter what height, size, position, whatever the case may be. It's better to have that background than to not have it at this point in in today's NBA. So, all right. Jameer Watkins, six foot seven, Florida State, redshirt junior. I will let Maxwell and Steven handle the brunt of these next three guys. I haven't watched as much of them, but I know that they're both ready to give some sick evaluations on the both of them. So Maxwell, why should we be talking about Jameer Watkins?
0: Yeah. Jameer Watkins is a guy who just straight up looks like an NBA wing when you watch him on a college basketball court, he's six foot seven. He's built like a man and he can do everything again. I I know the assisted turnovers are going to say one thing, but I I really do believe in his passing feel and some of the decisions that he's able to make as a passer. Um, He had an ACL injury, but still came back and shot better, which I think was really impressive that like he came back from that and the jump shot is still on a great trajectory moved phenomenally well. Still, he's a guy that's going to be able to defend like, two through four, like comfortable at the NBA level. Um, Billy knows how to play off the ball. Really good timing as a cutter solid on catch and shoot threes. Uh, His percentage on catch and shoot threes was up 10% over where it was in his previous season gets to the free throw line, a ton Point four two free throw late and rate. And then the defense is just excellent. He guys get destroyed on an Island against him block rates and steal rates, both right around three, uh, Defense has isolated him 20 times last year. They scored five points and turned it over six <laughs> times uh, against pick and roll uh, uh, Against pick and roll possessions. He held opponents to 0. .52 points per <laughs> possession, and they forced a turnover 26% of the time. This that is just a guy who's good. super switchable and, and knows how to play Whoa. team defense, loves his rotations, knows where he's going. But you, just, you can put this guy on anybody. He's going to make you screw up because he's so long, so tough, so sharp uh shots got to get better shots kind of weird very wide base kind of brings his feet in uh looks like he's shooting it off kind of the area between his index finger and thumb a little bit at sometimes shots got improved but it's not horrible like he's he's making him at an okay clip this is a guy that he's transferring from vcu to florida state if he goes to florida state and can even just kind of continue on this path or show a little bit more juice offensively and make threes there's an NBA role for a guy that that knows how to pass, makes quick decisions, really defends, and can make shots at a solid clip.
1: Do you think he's going to be coming in the... and, and starting Maxwell at Florida State? Do you think he's going to be coming off the bench? I know we don't know anything. I think
0: he's going to start. I, I really do. Um, I haven't done you know a ton of work on like what Florida State specifically is going to look like <laughs> this season, but sure. I think if you look at a role that somebody like a Matthew Cleveland play, played there... Um, yeah. I, I think that kind of spot is available for the taking given that Cleveland is now on the way to honest way to Miami. Um, it's it's Primo Spears. It's Jalen Worley, who hasn't really kind of been what we hoped. Darren Green, Cameron Fletcher, like there's talent on this team, but I, I just feel like Jameer is so much more consistent than most of these guys, and even with the More shooting true, questions, man. he's a better shooter than a lot of
1: these no, guys. No, yeah, n- none of those names are necessarily stopped. With the exception of Worley, I think that Worley, if he pans out, oh, he's like, the Worley. type of ball handler that team needs. But outside of that, some of those other names you mentioned, they're not not—they're not stopping Watkins from from getting time or stepping into a starting role if he is, in fact, as good as, as Maxwell's alluding to in his column. Stephen, I know you like him a lot as well. Go ahead.
2: Yeah, I have him 87th on my board right now. I I I love him, especially the defense, but I'll talk to the three-pointer percentage really quick. Maxwell, I thought it was really interesting diving deep on this that like on guarded three-pointers, he shot 42%. On dribble jumpers, he saw, he shot 36%, but somehow when he was left alone, he only shot 29%. Like that has Weird, to right? improve, yeah. right? So, if you consider if you bake all that into a cake, he shot 34% but the only time that he didn't really shoot the best was when he was left alone. Like, I feel like that has to be something that he can improve
1: well, on. Well, that, that's usually like a metal thing, right? Like, when you have too much mm-hmm. time to focus on your shot, you can absolutely, you know, mess with your mechanics a little bit from a mental aspect. But, I mean, if he's able to rein that into your point, Steven, that, that could be big and in, in unlocking more of his value.
2: Absolutely, right? So, I mean, if he can shoot off the move, if he can shoot with pressure, like, I feel like the unguarded would be the easier of the three to, to to try to overcome. But yeah, the defense is insane. Like 96 tall overall, had 41 steals, 23 blocks. Those numbers don't do his defensive impact justice at all. Um, really great closeout technique. Uh, VCU, I really liked in some of the film that I watched on him that they – when they would zone, they would have him drop back, even though he wasn't like the biggest guy on the floor because of his athleticism and defensive instincts. Like he – he moves so daggum well. And like Maxwell, too, like you just said, he he looks like an NBA player. I think the big thing that I would like to see him grow on, and I don't know if Florida State's necessarily the university to to help him out with it, but it's like the the ball in hand skill. I think that he has some flashes with it, but it's just a little bit reckless. And I, I think that the that the move to Florida State is more so like let me continue to demonstrate the things that I do great and, you know, hope that some of these other things kind of come along a little bit more um, at a steady pace. But I'll, I'm excited to see him, man. I love him a lot. You know, like I said, 87th on my board. think highly of him.
1: You you guys gave me one heck of a sales pitch, right? Uh, a, a big, <laughs> tough, strong wing who can score from a few levels and also play free safety on defense as well as cover corner. I mean, it's, it's, it's football season. I got to throw some of those analogies in there. But yeah, yes, yeah, sign, sign me up for, mm-hmm. for some Jameer Watkins, right. BJ Freeman yeah. is next on the list. Maxwell, what do you got for me? Yeah. So BJ Freeman is a guy
0: that I was like really excited about. Uh, he is six foot six around 200, 205 pounds. So NBA kind of frame on him real bulk to his body. Uh, initially went the Juco route. Um, a guy who's just really honest and straightforward about his situation had, had some academic issues, um, was missing a credit, The division he had high major offers and teams just can't wait on him to get that sorted out. They got to get commitments. They got to get a roster field, So he went the JUCO route. Um, Had a great season at Dodge City on a team that was like thirty and five. Like Dodge City is one of those one of those schools. If you if it's a school that played on Last Chance U football, they're also usually very good at basketball. And Dodge City is one of those. (laughs) Uh, He had a slow start to the year. Um, And then over his last 20 games, 22.4 points, just under six rebounds, just under four assists, cut his turnovers, just under stealing about half a block on 41, 34, 84 splits. He is, I've talked about this a little bit, just philosophy wise. I think the small microwave bench score is going to be a thing that really starts to go away just because it never translates in the playoffs. Like those guys just get mismatched on and on defense too much. The lack of decision-making can just be completely overwhelming for them in those contexts. I think where it's going to head is guys that look like BJ Freeman, guys that are six foot six, that can get their own shot. They can create for others and also are just big enough. that They're not going to be the same type of liability on defense um bj freeman does need to shore up his defense he takes a lot of charges but he does not make a lot of plays the effort isn't there from time to time he's really determined to fix that um but the rest of his offensive game is awesome he is he creates like a combo guard at six foot six he gets his own shot great footwork loves to get to the free throw line gets to the free throw line a ton and he's an excellent free throw shooter but just uses his physicality his dribble craft good live dribble passer excellent eyes for the corner when he gets downhill and very good interior passer, as far as finding those jump off passes. Um, I just really like what he, what he brings to the table as a guy who can create a little bit at, at six foot six. And another one of those guys, like when I wrote about him, got a lot, a lot of positive feedback about him from people within that program. They are very okay. excited for BJ Freeman coming into next season. So a guy that I I liked and then everything I've kind of heard since then, it it seems like he's really buying in to the improvements that he needs to make. And he really understands it. And like, they're, they're talking like this kid knows that he he's got to do more on defense and that he's excited to do it. So I'm very excited to see what he looks like ever since he got comfortable and had that massive final 20 game stretch.
1: You made that same sort of bigger wing microwave score pitch for an Amani, Amani Bates. Last year. Yeah, yes, yes mm-hmm. and Amani did, doesn't so. have the
0: passing sauce that B.J. Freeman has. Like that was like one of my takes. I think I hit you with when I was writing this. Is yes. like is B.J. Freeman just straight up a better prospect than Amani Bates?
1: Hmm. We'll, we'll we'll we will see how that pans out, Stephen. Any any B.J. Freeman thoughts?
2: Yeah, I just think that to, just to continue to add to what Maxwell said, his scoring ability. The, the instincts are there. And I think that, you know, it sounds like the commitment to improving his game is, is is incredible. Maxwell, I don't know how you feel about what I'm about to say, but like, I feel like he knows how to find ways to get to the basket in like a great multitude of ways. But it's yeah. just the, the conversion of that is going to mm-hmm. be the big thing for him because I don't like his layups were like a snowflake. I don't think that his body looked the same like on any two layups that he did. And I don't mean that in mat- like he he can maneuver around the defenses really well. And I think that's very good. But finding ways to to convert through contact or, or to not feel the pressure on that end. And I think that you touched on the defense perfectly like he I think that he uses his athleticism sometimes like to his detriment to where he kind of almost banks on it instead of like playing into the fundamentals but if he's buying in like this is definitely gotta to, to watch out for um I definitely have him in a range where' I'm, like i'm interested to monitor like this isn't a guy that like maxwell will put out there and we'll be like okay man or anything like that this is this is like a, a real dude a watch list kind of guy yeah absolutely that's i have him in the watch list range uh again like when i saw that you were dropping this name, i was like okay i'm gonna scout him i'm gonna scout mm-hmm. him now it's one of my favorite parts about these articles is like Maxwell adds to my database whenever <laughs> he does these, and I'm always grateful for it.
1: All right, last name in the wing category Josh ou mm-hmm. Maxwell. give me some thoughts.
0: yeah, so Uj in each one of these columns, I picked one guy where I'm like, I get it. the statistical case is not that strong. This is the guy I kind of have. I just kind of like the eye test I'm just kind of like yeah. i see I see so I see something in here Uj six foot five he is super athletic, like another guy that just like moves like an NBA shooting guard, um, really knows how to play defense. Excellent pull-up score. He made something like 52% of his pull-up twos last season. Um, Steal rate of of 2.5, block rate of 1.4. The issue is just the three-pointer has never really been there for him. He was, like, I believe a hair under, like, 33%, 32% last year. Yeah, he was around 32. But he's a good free-throw shooter, 90.5% from the line. So it's one of those things where it's, like, the pull-up shot's really good. There's NBA athleticism in there. Needs the three ball to get there to kind of Mm -hmm. fill that three and D archetype. And he needs to see the floor better, very low assist rate, kind of a tunnel vision guy. Doesn't always get all the way to the rim. He's rough around the edges, but like it wouldn't stun me if he's a guy that like works his way into conversations by the time he's, he's done with college.
1: All right. Let's for the sake of time, let's move into some of the guards here. Yeah. Look, the guard position in my opinion, and Maxwell and I have had conversations about this off the air, it is incredibly divisive. And I think the Mm -hmm. reason why it's divisive is because I think the bar has been raised so high for that particular position, whether you are a true one, a two combo, especially for point guards. I think the bar to actually start games in the NBA, in my opinion, hasn't been higher in quite some time. And so if you're going to come in as a guy who's looking to make a name for himself and possibly put himself up for one of those, you know, top starting jobs in the NBA, you got to really come out of the gate swinging to, to make your case. And then there are, I would say there's one guy for sure, I think has a chance to put himself in that kind of conversation with who's first and Walter Clayton Jr. is going to be transferring to Florida. I'll Maxwell get more into him. There's another intriguing name, in my opinion, on this list in Max Shulga and and then a few other names that we're going to get into. But we got to start with the best name on the list, in my opinion. Walter Clayton Jr. was a real prospect last year. He's going Mm -hmm. to be an even more real prospect this year playing at at a power five school in Florida, Maxwell. In case anyone has been quite literally living under a rock and doesn't know who Walter Clayton Jr. is please enlighten the audience. Cause I, I think this kid rocks.
0: Yeah. I've been beating this drum since winter. I like when, like when it was like that de- kind of dead week between like New Year's and Christmas, I was like, let me do a Walter Clayton feature. I, I love this <laughs> kid. So <laughs> I, I want to just kind of stress back to what you said. Like the, the guard position is brutal right now as yeah. far as like how to get in, in the NBA level. And like, this is the column that i was almost like dreading writing like i was bothering you nathan about this guard column for like months like as soon as the draft was over i was like oh my god like what am i, I know there? we've been dude, talking
1: about that i was helping you guards. narrow down like, your list for like months <laughs>
0: dude i had a list of like 25 guys because it's just like how how do you find like guys that are guards at mid-majors that like have a real nba chance it's hard like it's really difficult guys like spins like other people in the no ceiling seem like I've I was sweating this one out. I'm really happy with the five I came up with, but the, the, the bar is high. But a guy like Walter Clayton checks so many of those boxes that I'm feeling good about this guy playing in NBA games at some point. So Walter Clayton, um you know, good good athlete in high school, three star recruit, offers from Florida, Florida State, Tennessee, Notre Dame, Georgia, as a football player. As he a is a zero star basketball recruit. Who gets offers from uh, schools like Jacksonville and East Carolina and Iona? Goes to Iona, solid first year, like just decent bench guard who can play some defense. Sophomore year, boom, absolute explosion. Wins MAAC player of the year, 17 points per game, 3.2 assists to 1.8 turnovers, really high steal and block rates, um, but really just shoots the cover off the ball. Uh, 43% from three on high volume. The best free throw shooter in college basketball last year at 95.3%. This man is an electric three-point shooter. Whether it's off the catch, off the dribble, NBA range, hand in the face, self-created, assisted, does not matter. Did it against UConn, created in space, got himself an, an open look against Sonogo on the perimeter, drained that soccer. He is a real deal three-point shooter, takes good care of the ball, Has that football background, has that stocky, strong body. So he's able to finish through contact at the rim. Finishing percentage wasn't great, but it actually went up when I wrote that column in Mm -hmm. December. The finishing percentage was lower than where it ended up. Um, Sees the floor pretty well. Can really defend. Meets guys at the rim. Super explosive off of two feet. Loves how he springs up to contest. Very good at jumping passing lanes. And because of that frame, he's going to be less of a mismatch target than so many of these other smaller guards. I want to see a little more sauce with Walter Clayton. I want to see a little more creativity, a little more slickness in the handle, more advanced reads as a passer. Florida's the place. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think that he's going to be in a position where he's really set up to succeed because I, I I know Florida's loaded. I know they got a ton of guys. When you have a guy that shoots like this, he's not going to not play when he can also mm-hmm. defend. Like He is going to be a perfect safety valve for Riley Kugel, whether this is a guy that he kicks it to you on the perimeter, whether this is another guy that they run offense for to, to kind of give him a break if they want to move Kugel off ball a little bit. There's so many ways for him to contribute on this team. Um, but if you just look at like and block rate, three-point volume, three-point percentage, it, there's a query in the column where it's guys like him, Torian Prince, Moy Hodge, Chris Duarte, and Tyrese Halliburton. Like this is a guy who's doing everything you can do as a small guard to make his case.
1: That backcourt of him, and kugel at florida this year they could average 40 points a game by themselves like i you usually numbers like that are are a tad on the ridiculous side like if you're averaging in college anywhere from let's call it 12 to 17 points per game you're usually in pretty great company for your position within your conference i think there's a chance Stephen, that these guys are, are absolutely microwave they're big time they're show time and I think Florida is going to be one hell of a team this year. I hope I don't steal your thunder with this stat, but screw it. It's my last show. I'm going to say it anyways. Oh, um, dude, man. The, the stat that made my jaw drop Walter Clayton at Iona last year, per synergy, by the way, last show, shout out to Synergy. Thank you, Synergy, so best. for the, literally, S-
0: the best. best. I,
1: I cannot do what I do. I would have not been able to do it with Draft Deeper, with no ceilings this past year, this past few years. And I won't be able to do anything in the future without you guys. So seriously, thank you, Synergy, for for always being there to provide us what we need in the basketball space. But per Synergy, 99th percentile on spot-up shots. Dude was over 50% on his spot-up looks. An effective field goal percentage as a guard on spot-up looks of 72%. Steven, that's freaking insane. I'm sorry, that's insane and synergy has 91 of those attempts logged as, as spot ups so you're approaching 100 shots approaching 20% of the time you're on the court doing something scoring on offense you're over 50% in effective field goal seven that that's nuts this guy is a a flat out scoring stud
2: 50% of the time it worked every time like that's <laughs> how that's how it went for for mm-hmm. our guy so listen, I wrote the least in my notes preparing for the show for Walter Clayton Jr. because like I'm so confident in 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 the 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 path to the NBA that this that this young man is about on. He's 46 on my board. Like I'm, yeah, I'm like reasonable. I'm, I'm I'm firmed up in where I have him. And the the one thing I want to add to this conversation before we move on is uh, for those who remember the interview I did with Brandon Pajemski last year, I made it a point. To ask him, like, hey, what was it like playing against Walter Clan Junior? He's like, oh, that that man is legit. That dude's got the goods. So, like, talking about a guy who who himself rose up draft boards last season after transferring schools and was selected in the first round to a team with high, you know, championship aspirations is like, I take basketball seriously. Like, it's all I ever think and do and, and, and act on. And this Walter Clayton kid, like, is made of the same stuff. Like, so that's a that's a big endorsement for me. Like, I thought highly of him just talking with Brandon about him, but mm-hmm. you know, watching him doing the stats, like, seeing what Maxwell, the great work he's doing out on him, like, I'm sold, dude. Like, I don't have anything intelligible to add to this conversation other than this man has the goods. That's it.
1: Yeah, we can we can confidently move on from from Walter Clay knowing that he's gonna come in and be a stud at Florida. Jalen House. Yeah. Six foot one guard. One. He he is. He he is a little bit of a divisive problem. Although he does have like you pointed out first thing in the column, he does have the bloodlines to, to back it up. This dude comes from an, an NBA oh, lineage. Man. He he absolutely knows what he's doing. So uh from that standpoint, he's gonna get a chance as a prospect. You're gonna be able to make it. But Maxwell has a legitimate case to make for for Jalen House. So why did you write about him in your column?
0: Yeah, so Jalen House is quicker than a hiccup. Another one of these guys that that takes good care of the ball. Has some real scoring chops to him. Even though he is small, he's, he's listed at six foot one. That's mm. pretty generous. <laughs> that, that's yep. pretty generous. Yeah, 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 yeah um that's like a, a tinder bio six one is what we'll call that like that's maybe not a real <laughs> six one but it's in, in the like on a dating profile you would put a six foot one
2: um that's close so, to what jameer nelson jr was listed as and if you see those two stand to, next to each other it's it's yeah
0: yeah jameer nelson jr was like fir- yeah firmly <laughs> taller than him <laughs> yeah. uh yeah and, and also like so much bigger, like that's the other thing with she on house, this is a guy who's a hundred. he would be the ninth lightest player in the NBA if he gets the NBA. So very, very mm-hmm. thin, very small, but extremely quick gets to the rim a ton unassisted because of how quick he is, is going to have that NBO, NBA catch and go speed to kind of just get inside the lane from spot ups. If, if teams are respecting his gravity, um, 37% from three last year. Another guy who really good crafty decision maker can really whip the ball out of the live dribble. Very good with the dump off passes. Morris Udesi was one of like the top just guys in terms of getting dunks in the NCAA last year and Jalen House setting him up was a big part of that. Um, but the reason we're here is is the defense. Uh, he is a ridiculous, ridiculous defensive playmaker. Uh, another high block rate guy, 2.1 block rate, which is high for a guard. But a 4.7 steal percentage, which is an elite number that is above yeah. what guys like De'Anthony Melton, Alex Caruso, Gary Payton II, Chris Dunn, and Jose Alvarado did in college. The man is a menace. He's a he's a thief. And he will find any way possible to take the basketball away from whoever has it. So there's some gambling. There's some negatives that come with that. Uh, and he has real work to do as a pull-up shooter, which is like my biggest hesitation. Is If he had a pull-up jumper, I'd be all in. Not great pull-up numbers in the midway range from three. I don't know how much teams are in respect his gravity. Between that, the size concerns, I get the reservations. I think he ends up a top 100 guy.
2: Mm.
1: That's that's really what it comes back to, right? Though those two key ingredients, right? I I think to, to your point, Maxwell, when you wrote about it a bunch in your column. Like if this guy works out, you're looking at him in like a Jose Alvarado type mole. Like that's the comp you want to make. The one thing that you and I talked off air, and now I get to share it on the podcast feed is that I would be very careful in making a comparison as a best case scenario for a player who is already so unique in what he does, especially yeah. the fact that he doesn't have those same metrics slash shooting efficiencies and splits from three-point range like Alvarado did, you know, when he really broke out as a prospect at Georgia Tech. Like I would I would be very careful about making that type of a comp, which is what makes me nervous. But a lot of what you did talk about, Maxwell, I mean, it can make me excited for him as a prospect, and I can certainly see why you would want to make the argument as, yeah, he's one of these smaller guards. You know, we, we see where that's going in the NBA. But at the same time, there's always going to be players like this going in and out of the NBA. They're going to get cups of coffee. They're going to get shots. And if you're going to stick, Steven, usually you're either going to be lights out offensively, or you're really going to earn your role by coming in and, and taking a lot of defensive assignments that other guys just don't want to take. But because you know that this is your chance to make it in the league, you're going to take them with a smile on your face and you're going to go out there and be a game wrecker. And, and for for some of the things we can pick apart with House, he does have that mentality, You know that understanding, that background of, if I'm going to stick in the NBA, i got to be a game wrecker he may very well prove that and he, he could make some noise getting into the next level.
2: And, and I mean, I think ultimately if we're, if we're going to just be honest with this, right? Like who his dad and his uncle are, are probably going to get him a shot. Right. Yeah. And that's going to be what gets it. That's what's going to get him a foot in the door. But Son of Eddie house, nephew of Mike Bibby, by the way. Yes. Oh, the thank you. Thank yep. you for, thank you for cleaning that up, but he's got to earn it I though. Think, He's got real game, though. Like, that's the thing, right? Like, the the size suck. like Like, people are that size and they don't suck because they're small. I'm just saying, like, for his draft prospects, like, that sucks that he's the size that he is because, like, when you watch the film, there's not much that you can be like, no, nah, I don't like that. Like, no, nah, I don't like that. It just ultimately is going to come down to do you believe that he at his size can contribute? Like, the last player in the NBA that we had at his size that really – achieved much you know outside of you know gta was isaiah thomas and he was last pick of his draft right like pick 60 overall so like nathan like you're saying these players are kind of few and far in between but i really think that like i don't have him in a range where i think he's going to get drafted like today you know what i mean but like if he can consistently show some stuff and like this is going to be i think going to be an intel prospect where like we're getting close to the draft and like whatever's coming out about him is going to heavily influence where people place him on his board. I think that that's the honest opinion because it's not his game. It's mainly his stature and how he's probably going to be attacked, you know, at the next level that I think a lot of people are going to be concerned with.
1: If if he's making shots, he's going to be on radars, right? Yes. Like That's that's a given. So that's really going to come down to, in my opinion, his, his shot making ability as well as uh proving that the the playmaking improvements he's made over the last few years it's not just a flash in the pan those are legit he's going to keep getting better as a playmaker and and then we haven't seen the full extent of where his ceiling lies and in that particular aspect of his game but speaking of getting buckets though zeke mayo right six foot four guard maxwell i know you like zeke mayo i know steven likes zeke mayo he's actually been a prospect I've been seeing a little bit more of on, on social mm-hmm. media. People are starting to talk about him a little bit, but Maxwell, why did you choose to write about Zeke Mayo for this column?
0: Yeah. Cause he's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so, so he from, gets buckets. <laughs> yeah. Zeke is six, four. Uh, he is really strong, really physical, but just another one of these guys with like a fascinating style of play reminds me. There's some differences as far as like the passing and playmaking feel, but the guy that I always kind of went back to with him in my head was Jason Preston when he was at Ohio, oh, yeah. where there's just a really strong level of pace and an understanding of how to use it to get your own looks. And he's also a guy who uses that hostage dribble a lot, the same way that, uh, that Preston did. I think the difference with Zeke is I feel a little bit more confident in Zeke's shot coming out. Um, yeah. And I, I, I think that's kind of the difference maker. He is a really great three-point shooter. He had a, a down year from three at like 37% on high volume. He was around 42% his first year and kind of like to your point that we talked about Jameer earlier, like it was his catch and shoots that didn't go this year. Yeah. And like he hit those at a really high clip as a freshman. So I do think that'll kind of turn back around, uh, but it's really strong pick and roll ball handler with NBA range. So teams kind of have to come up on him. And when they come up on him, he's so good with that hostage dribble and just getting his man off his back, manipulating the defender at the second level in a ball screen, uh, finding cutters, finding three point shooters, spot up guys. He can just do it all. Um, Really cooked in isolation too. Like was like 88th percentile on ISOs yes, this year. Yeah. Even, even though he's not like a super fast athlete. Um, right. He knows how to make people dance. Uh, finished efficiently inside. And had like a, another guy who just had like a really strong finish to the year. Um, assist to turnover was underwater at like the midway point in the season. And he flipped it. Got it to uh 4.1 assists to 2.8 turnovers uh, after the turn in the calendar year. Um, Some athletic concerns, like he's not super quick. The defensive metrics leave a lot to be desired. The ground coverage isn't great. Um, Again, got better there at back after the season, but I'm just not sure he has NBA speed, is like my hang up with him. Like, if he catches it on a spot up, like, how quickly is he getting into the paint? Our defense is going to be able to recover against him. Is a pace laden game going to work against guys who just understand and think the game at such a high level and have better physical tools than him? I'm not sure but I think he's going to be so undeniable that he is a part of these conversations um, and is getting his name talked about in front offices, you know, getting those kind of invites to your Portsmouth,
2: your elite camps and things like that.
1: Steven, what do you like about Zeke Bayoff?
2: I mean, I'll, Maxwell touched on like the, the, the main things about him. Some interesting things that, I, that I, that I think were kind of fascinating to, to look at was his percentage at the rim. Like he's 69th percentile while finishing at the rim but with zero dunks, you know what I mean? So I think that that speaks. Yeah. So I think that speaks to the athleticism and, you know, kind of explosive concerns that, that Maxwell has to his game, but he is, uh, he plays with such a unique feel too. You know what I mean? Like in all honesty, I'm surprised that he stayed at South Dakota state, you know, because again, unless you're like an undeniable talent, like saying at these mid majors, it's, is hard. It's a hard bar to clear, let alone for being a guard, you know, like as we have, have been talking about at the early portion of the show, but I want to see if he can improve his, you know, his strength, especially on the defensive side of the ball, because I think what hurts him defensively is that he's just, he can kind of get moved off the spots fairly easily. So I want to see if the the strength, um, particularly the core strength is shown size improvement, because as we keep saying, this man's a bucket.
1: Absolutely. So our last two players here, I'm actually going to, leave it up to you guys to choose between them which of these prospects do you like more heading into the season so maxwell's last two guards he had there were mm-hmm. Chance Jenkins 6 foot 4 guard fourth year junior and we also have a guy who I know I like Max Schulgo 6 foot 4 guard going to be a senior at VCU so maxwell between those two guys i know it, it's it's like making you pick your favorite, yeah, I know. favorite I child this. but mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> which one of these two do you like better?
0: So I'm actually going to let you cook on Shulga. Cause I know you like him a lot, but I'm also kind of a gambling man with guards. Like I feel like with guards, you got to get a little risky with it. And that's why Chauncey Jenkins is on this list because I'm, I'm gambling on
2: this guy. I like Chauncey. Him. I like. I him. do
0: too. So he is six foot four hyper, hyper athletic. I, I spoke yep. to his coach, Jeff Jones, and he called them like a plus plus athlete. And, uh, when he was at uh, Wichita state, uh, Greg Marshall, who was a coach there at the time, made a comment that he's kind of like John Morant. He's obviously not John Morant, the rookie of the year in the NBA, but that's who he reminds you of. He has some of the same characteristics as John Morant. He's extremely long and bouncy. And he's a highlight reel waiting to happen. Uh, Metcalf actually brought up Jenkins early in the year. Uh, he was like, this guy plays like he drank three cups of coffee in a good. <laughs> and like that, that was actually kind of, I think what got me on him the first time was, was Metcalf. Um, He is a really good defender, very quick twitch, very smart, good, good production like metrics, but not a guy that gambles too much. Like if you dig into the film, he knows how to just stay in front, knows when to help. Doesn't do dumb stuff. Just a super athletic guy that knows how to, how to play defense and stick within those principles. Um, gets a lot of blocks off of like putbacks and things like that. When guys just aren't really paying attention to him, he'll sneak up behind. Um, This was was so funny. I I, I watched like a bunch of these guys games when I do this. There was a game against coastal Carolina. They had this point guard, Antonio day who drove, who like got his shot blocked at all three levels by Chauncey Jenkins (laughs) in the same game, like just kept trying him in different ways and getting stuffed. Um, Offensively, he gets to the rim quite a bit by himself. Uh, So really good rim pressure guard gets fouled a lot. He's a good free throw shooter. So explosive, wicked first step. But also like has a handle, has some wiggle, has some shake, will throw in some misdirection, creates space northwest and east east, south, uh, east-west and north-south. Um, loves contact. Uh, and then has some passing chops, turns it over, like assist turnover, not quite where you want it. But this guy barely played his first two seasons at Wichita State, got his first real run in Old Dominion, was their leading scorer, leading assist getter. The fact that it was like a pretty positive assist to turnover issue, I can live with. Especially, especially because he was showing live dribble passing flashes with both hands. Three point volume is super low. Took like yep. four point five per hundred possessions. Um, another guy who's really skinny at one hundred and seventy three pounds, but he's so athletic and, and just like is going to be a plus athlete at the NBA level. I don't think you can teach some of that. The work ethic stuff that I've I've heard again even outside of the interview with the coach from people around him has been very positive. Um, it's, it's a bet on the shooting volume going up and the shooting percentage staying roughly the same or getting better. Uh, but there's just not a lot of guys that are this athletic at six foot four that like have an idea as to how to play basketball. And he's one of those guys.
1: That's completely fair. And and, and by the way, love, maybe love's a little bit stronger of a word for, for my appreciation on, on Shulga. It's very early. A lot of these guys certainly have a case to make, but if I were to just stand on a small soapbox for Shulga, because I think I think Steven also really likes Chauncey. He's gonna talk about him as well. But Max Shulga going to UCLA, I mean not, not UCLA VCU was on really good Utah State team last year, right? Mm-hmm. A team that made the tournament. Uh he has a level of composure to him as a six foot four guard, the way that he goes about his business, right? How he approaches scoring and getting to his spots. He's a big physical guard, right? He loves to draw contact. Maxwell wrote about his, his free throw rate, how he gets the line, how he's able to convert from there, how that's a reliable source of offense for him. He understands how to play different angles, how to use his body in the best ways, how to score from the mid range. He can get up shots from three-point range. He can be a shooter in multiple areas of the game. He's a—I I would say he's a solid to good playmaker. I wouldn't call him great or any stretch of the imagination, but I think he can keep the ball moving. But just how he's able to get to his spots consistently, where he wants to be, his approach, I'm not making a direct comparison. I'm not not going to do that because this guy has been so special in how he's risen up in the NBA But just where they're kind of at, where he's at at this point in his career versus where this player was around the same time in his career, just reminds me a bit of Austin Reeves, man. Like just like how he plays the game, how he approaches how he's able to see the floor, but really the physicality where like Austin Reeves, he's not necessarily sizing people up and blowing by every single man on the floor, but he just understands how he needs to get to his spot where he needs to go and then he's able to convert every time he gets to that spot. And I see a lot of that same approach in Sholga, right? Austin Reeves, another physical guard, can bump guys off spots, embraces physicality, knows how to use that to separate himself on a jump shot and create a more open look than he would have initially gotten. I see a lot of those same things from Shulga. He's he's definitely a worse athlete than somebody like Reeves. He doesn't have that same first step to work with. I don't like him in, in a size up from a size up standpoint. But just as a spot up scorer, as somebody who can score with the ball as well as without the ball, how you're not getting him caught on an island he doesn't know where to go with it from a playmaking standpoint. I really like a lot of what he brings to the table, and I think he's going to bring a lot of good things as a point guard to this VCU team. I think he's going to be one of the captains that, that on, on the team, the straw that stirs the drink, and I think it's going to help him in a big regard to where we may be talking about him in in like one of these Portsmouth type capacities, like Maxwell's talking about. And if you get into Portsmouth, if you get into elite camp and you play well in these games, all of a sudden your stock can just go maybe through the roof is the wrong phrase to use, but certainly in a place where you didn't think it could be, you know, a few months before in those games. So he's, he has to get himself to that point, but once he gets there, I think he may be in a spot where he's out playing a lot of those guys. And that's why I, I like him. As a prospect, Stephen, go ahead. Which one of those two guys do you want to continue to talk about?
2: Yeah, I won't go too long on either one of them. Uh, I'll just say that uh, I like Chauncey a lot, just specifically for the athleticism. Uh, the shoulder stuff, I'm a little bit more hesitant on, especially once uh, seeing them up against Missouri. It kind of put a uh, it kind of put in perspective where I think teams can like do to him a little bit on the defensive side of the ball. So that has me a little bit concerned, especially like in the pick, in the pick and roll. But, I mean, going to VCU could could shape up a lot of that, especially on the defensive side of the ball. So really happy with the decision-making on, on Shulga's end for that. But both, both very fine players. Definitely glad I have them added to the database. And shout-out to Maxwell again, man, for the continued work that he puts into finding these types of players because it, it definitely enhances your scouting eye. Absolutely.
1: So that's going to do it for, for this episode of the podcast from a, a basketball sicko perspective. I just want to get fellas our last show together. And wh- what are your general thoughts about the 2024 draft cycle as we approach it? Because there's already been so much negativity shared about this draft. Class. And, and, and <laughs> I know, right. Surprising, but <laughs> may- maybe, maybe there's no true clear number one guy as we record this on September 13th, 2023. But I have seen a number of guys who intrigue me from a role-player standpoint. I think this is going yeah. to be a deeper class than people give it credit for. I, I Like I said, I've, I've, been, I've been playing my hand at this since, since 2011, 2012. I've seen enough drafts where everyone's talking it down at this point in the cycle, and then you give it till like December and January, and all of a sudden there's a bunch of guys popping up who weren't that high on RSCI top 100s, yet they're making their names in college basketball, and now you're finding them in a bunch of these mock drafts that you're reading online. Like this, This stuff happens every single year. And so I just want to kind of give my last piece on this upcoming cycle and and future cycles. Don't buy into all the preseason negativity. Watch these guys for yourself. Do the evaluations. Do your homework. I promise there are players who if you are watching enough preseason tape and you're uncovering these rocks like Steven and Maxwell are, I promise you're going to find some guys who you're ranking much higher than everyone else eventually it's going to get to the games everyone's going to watch the college games they're going to understand the appreciation you have for in preseason and you're going to see a lot of these guys spike up boards and all of a sudden we're going to be talking about it as a deeper draft class than we thought i promise it's going to happen so don't crap on the 2024 nba draft class just yet <laughs> maxwell your thoughts on on what we're going to be looking at in yeah
0: no i'm i'm right there with you i think just drives me insane like we i, I don't know we I think it's fair to be realistic, right? Like, I think it's really important to be realistic as an evaluator. And, like, I I stress this all the time. Um, But I think there's a difference between being realistic and, like, being a baby about how much good basketball we get to watch. Like, I think there's a real difference between, like, Oh man, like it's unfortunate, like that there's not like a generational prospect in this draft class. But I think you can go too far and be like, "Oh, this class sucks. It's awful. It's so bad." Like if you, fe- I don't know, I I'll keep the- I'll keep it to myself. But I think to your point, like role players are exciting. I love watching yeah. an NBA game and watching great role players do their thing. And if that's all there is, I'm gonna enjoy it. I'm gonna have the time of my life watching these guys and learning and seeing what we can what we can find in them and where these upside areas are. And if those Ignite Perth scrimmages were any indication, it's not that bad. It's not that bad. There's a lot to be excited about. About what we saw from Alex Sarr, what we saw from Elmanza, what we saw from Ron Holland showing off some new shot-making chops. Tyler Smith showing off his gigantic Mm -hmm. frame, the size that he's put on. Reports from John Hollinger, he's working on the shots he missed after the game. I love it. I'm really excited. I thought those games were a great appetizer. And I think that if you go into it, I think there's a reason to have some healthy skepticism because maybe there isn't like a totally franchise changing player, but role players matter quite a bit and getting those kind of picks, right. There's still going to be right and wrong picks to be made. So if you're just going to kind of go into this and sleepwalk through it and say, Oh, this class is bad or whatever you're doing yourself a disservice. Teams would be doing themselves a disservice. If that's the mindset that they're going to go into it with, I think there's a lot to be excited about because I, I love watching basketball and I love watching non-stars play basketball, even in the NBA. And it's going to be really important for these teams, which guys they they place bets on. So I, I'm I'm really excited for it. And I thought the Ignite scrimmages so far give a lot of reason for optimism, if anything.
1: I'm right there with you, Maxwell. I've already talked to enough people, you know, agents alike, people in the league alike. I, I've already talked to enough people. These, these second round picks, these, these you know, The situation like we had in Denver, you know, training for multiple second rounders, trying to choose guys who can maybe crack their rotation this upcoming year, trying to find players on these contracts that are going to provide exponential value compared to what they're actually being paid versus how many minutes they can play on the floor. I promise you these draft picks are going to become more important as we get deeper into this new CBA where there's only going to be a certain number of star players, about two star players taking up that certain percentage of the cap then you're going to have to pay all these starters more money. And then you get down to these role players and it's like, well, I can't also have a bench of like three or four more guys, you know, being paid starter level money. I'm going to have to try and build my roster around the margin somewhere else. And teams are going to look at these, you know, late first round, early to mid second round picks. They're going to see that as like a sweet spot type range to where, we have a chance to get somebody in here on, on a really good contract. We can stretch it out, you know, sign somebody to a four-year deal that's paying out, you know, x amount of dollars, but it's really like this minuscule percentage of the cap, and we're going to get so much value from that player. These teams that start nailing those types of picks and and drafting these role players and and some guys in these ranges that we're talking about for this upcoming class, I promise you, those smart teams are doing the homework right now as we speak on players like we talked about on this podcast and the teams that nail those picks are going to be better off for, and they're going to be the ones who are in the title hunt, not just, you know, your big markets who are trying to get all the stars in free agency or through these trades where they're trading away half of their assets that they have for, for the franchise. I promise you this stuff is going to continue to be as important as it's always been. If, if not even more important and certainly heightened, especially in the public sphere. That was that. that was my so two cents. Wait, if, what you- I,
2: if I could have my Kyle turn the TikTok camera on a moment, please. Can we let the draft class start before we say whether Absolutely. or not it's going to yep. be bad? Absolutely. So, so do y'all remember the, the noise coming into like the 2020 NBA draft class? Was that supposed to be like one for the ages? Like, I, I don't remember that one being. There was like a
0: lot the- of K talk. There was a lot of like
2: Kate is Kate is a star, Kate is a star
0: but then it was like ah it's a one player draft So I'm and then, talking like, it slowly turned into five player draft and whatever so like the narrative can the narrative can shift
2: so i'm talking the the lamelo ball oh Anthony i'm sorry i think it's 2021 yeah. yeah so that was that yeah draft there was class. some
0: noise around that one being bad and now in hindsight so
2: let's take a look at that right so that that draft class was supposed to be bad but Who are the two players that we can't stop talking about from FIFA basketball that came out of there? Like Tyrese Halliburton, wasn't he like a? Now, I I I agree that he should have been drafted higher. He was fourth on my board. I know he was fourth on everybody's board now, but he was fourth on my board and he was taken like late lottery. Anthony Edwards was the number one pick, and like that wasn't even supposed to happen. And now he's like Captain America in FIFA basketball. That whole draft class was supposed to be bad. But we still got like players who are heading up our Olympic or, or excuse me, our feet, like our national FIBA basketball teams as global. start, like Anthony Edwards is supposed to be the next Michael Jordan now. Right. Like that's what everyone's talking about. He came from a bad, a quote unquote, bad draft class. So can we please let these young men like get out and play and produce before we say whether or not like sure we don't have Victor Wimbenyama. Right. He's also not played an NBA game yet. You know what I'm saying? Well, so, and let's like, let
0: these old men do their thing too. Talk about Desmond Bain in that draft thank class. You. Who even, even like going into that night, people were like, "Oh, too old, too boring, too safe."
2: T Rex arms, you know, like yeah. everyone who just it. got a like, max
1: contract was the last pick of the mm-hmm. first round. Just got a max deal. So, yeah, what are we talking so, about? Yeah. Exactly?
2: So can we can we let the guys play and let's see see them get drafted and like find reasons to be excited for the players that are in this class instead of coming into it saying it sucks like you're not doing anything beneficial for anybody in the draft community. Like go and do the work. Don't let people tell you who's supposed to be good. Go and do the work. Absolutely.
1: Always, always do the work. I promise you'll, you'll find more appreciation in basketball from doing the work than just sitting around trying to complain or, or, or sharing your thoughts in that negative way. I promise if you put things in a positive light and you make that your mission for the day to be positive and have that right attitude, I promise There's a lot that, that you're going to be able to like and find, especially in this upcoming 2024 NBA draft class, I promise. But all that being said, this is it. This is the end of the episode, guys. As we said at the top, it's been a pleasure working with you both. I can't wait to see what you guys do with a podcast together on your own, away from all my nonsense. You don't have me coming ah, up with hi. the shows anymore or, or planning everything out. <laughs> you, you you, guys are going to absolutely knock it out of the park for No Ceilings, and, and No Ceilings is going to continue to grow as a collective. I can't wait to see what happens for this platform moving forward. But if you're still interested in listening to me ramble on about basketball or seeing my thoughts on social media – I will still be on Twitter at Draft Deeper. You'll always be able to find me there. Of course, you can find No Ceilings, the collective at No Ceilings NBA on Twitter, as well as on the podcast feed, wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to the No Ceilings YouTube channel because guys like Steven Maxwell, they're going to keep pumping out awesome content. Everyone else at the collective, they're going to keep establishing No Ceilings as the go-to place to go for not just the draft, but for basketball analysis at large. I firmly believe that. So thank you all for listening and continuing to show your support. One final time for me, hope you all have a wonderful rest of your week. Stay tuned for everything coming on from these guys. But for me, one last time, sign it off. Thank you all so much.